Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Ministerial Archives, History of Middle-Earth podcast, where we dive deep into the history of Middle-Earth. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide through today's adventure back to Middle-Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Audrey Wilson. Hello again, everyone, and it's so good to be recording again. And I know there's been a huge delay, sorry about that. Um, for those who don't know already, we, my wife and I are expecting our first little baby. She, well, it's a girl. Um, she's due any day now, basically any minute really. We've already had a couple trips in the hospital because we thought it may be time, but unfortunately not yet. So we have that coming up. So I'm trying to get some content out for you guys just in case uh, whenever she does come in the next day or two I'm gonna be a little busy so here is another episode for you to listen to until I can get you more content so let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode but first to start us off we have this coming week in Middle Earth history which is actually a very short somewhat anticlimactic week the only really notable nodal things of note that happen are yesterday on the 25th is when Thorin was laid to rest in 2941. And then today on the 26th is when Bilbo and the dwarves divided up the treasure, each taking their share. And then Friday the 27th is when Bilbo and Gandalf leave for home. Alright, now for the main topic, we're going to be covering orcs, urukai, and some other species that you may not have heard of before. So, we're going to start off with a deep dive into the Silmarillion days with Melkor, aka Morgoth, and Beleriand. And then we're going to work our way back up into the Hoppet and Lord of the Rings era. There won't be any big spoilers for those that have not started from the very beginning with the Silmarillion, but if you've listened to the first few episodes or previous episodes, you know that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. So, the orcs were bred by Melkor in mockery of the elves, sometime during the Great Darkness. It is unclear exactly when orcs were created, but it has certainly happened before the Battle of the Powers in Melkor's stronghold of Atumbo. Whether the orcs were at this time a capable fighting force against the host of the Valinor is not known, but at least some of them survived this war, probably hidden in the deep vaults of Angband, and multiplied, waiting for their master. When Melkor, at that time known as Morgoth, returned to Middle-earth, he created new hordes of orcs and invaded Beleriand, where the first battle of Beleriand then took place. Orcs had also then fought in Dagor Nuin Giliath. Orcs did appear in the First Age as the core force of Morgoth. Hundreds of thousands of orcs were bred in Angband to participate in the battles of Beleriand, which lasted a whopping 587 years. Orcs first appeared in the First Age in the Battle of Lamoth, where they were defeated by Fingolfin and his Noldor. Orcs participated in battles such as Dagor Argilareb, Dagor Bregolok, Fall of the Thalas, the War of Wrath, and some others, where they were almost extinguished. 
Those that did survive the defeat fled eastwards and hid probably in the mountains of Angmar and the arid Mithrin. Around the year 1000 of the Second Age, Sauron reappeared, took the land of Mordor as his realm, and started the construction of Barad-dur. It is likely that most of his servants were orcs at this time that he had gathered under his command. Still, for a long time, Sauron's foul servants did not play an important role, for the Dark Lord had chosen a more subtle way to overthrow the free, pe free people by creating the Twenty Rings of Power. During the War of the Elves and Sauron in Second Age 1700, orcs formed the main power of Sauron's host. Despite the immeasurable number of orcs, Sauron was actually defeated by the united hosts hosts of elves and Numenorians. Still, Sauron was powerful east of the Misty Mountains, and orcs that inhabited the mountains and eastern lands multiplied. Not to be confused with the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring movie, there were several battles uh, where the elves and Numenorians fought against Sauron, and sometimes it didn't go as well as planned, but they won most of the battles at least. Obviously, the one that we see in the prologue, which was the final one, I believe is the fifth battle. The orcs of the Misty Mountains started a war against the dwarves, resulting in the first sack of Gundabad and its occupation by the orcs. Finally, orcs were the core force of Sauron during the War of the Last Alliance, and fought in great battles such as the Battle of Daggerlad and the Siege of Barad-dûr. During the Third Age, orcs were the standard troops of Sauron, both in Mordor and Dol Guldur, and his great servants, such as the Witch King and Saruman. In Angmar, orcs fought for the Witch King in the Angmar War, and years later they invaded Eriador under the leadership of the Necromancer. The orcs of the Misty Mountains, one of the few independent orcish societies, and their leader Azog, started out the War of the Dwarves and Orcs, and after their defeat they retreated in their caves. They appeared again in TA 2941 when the Battle of Five Armies took place, suffering yet another terrible loss. In his efforts to hinder the people of Rohan, Saruman began to gather orcs from the mountains for his army in Isengard, experimenting on them to fashion himself greater soldiers such as half-orcs, goblin men, and orakai. The orcs of Mordor fought in major battles during the War of the Ring, such as the Battle of Pelennor Fields, but the majority of Mordor's forces were destroyed or scattered at the time the Battle of the Morannon. Sporadic fighting in the following weeks led to the orcs finally being driven out of the western end of Mordor, though no one really knows how many orcs Sauron had in his armies, and it was also unclear exactly how many survived after his defeat. The orcs in Dol Guldur remained in Mirkwood until the fall of Dol Guldur, one of the last battles of the War of the Ring. The fate of the orcs after the Third Age is unknown, though many of Sauron's orcs fought on and were slain in the weeks following the Battle of the Morannon. We do know that the orcs of Moria either fled or were slain by the Fourth Age, as it is mentioned that the dwarves managed to retake Moria and the mines with it. It is certain all orcs were dependent on the Dark Lords in various ways. After the War of Wrath, the orcs were confused and dismayed without Morgoth, 
and were easily scattered by their enemies. In the millennia after his defeat and banishment from Arda, they were without a leader and degenerated into small, quarrelsome tribes hiding in wild places such as the Misty Mountains and the Mountains of Angmar. Orcs remained a threat to travelers and isolated settlements, and when united could compose a great regional threat, but they could never amount to the force that they were under Morgoth. Only when Sauron returned to power did they begin to reclaim their old power. The same happened after Sauron's defeat by the last alliance of elves and men. Only under the Witch King's command, and when Sauron returned as the necromancer of Mirkwood, did the orcs become a real danger for all of Middle-earth again. Orcs were warlike and often cruel, fighting with reckless ferocity and delighting in the slaughter and torture of their foes. Many had a cowardly nature, however, and were often regarded as inferior, though far more expendable than the soldiers of men, elves, and dwarves. It is said that Sauron, at the height of his power, had great control over the orcs than Morgoth had, though this was because he had not yet spent himself in dominating others, as well as due to lesser th a lesser threat posed by his adversaries than those of his predecessor. Orcs also proved themselves adept at taming and riding wolves and even wargs, an ability harnessed by the Dark Lords for their armies. It is unknown if the orcs were immortal like the elves. There is, in any case, a hint for a long lifespan in the story of the two most famous orc chieftains, Azog and Bolg, Bolg, being the son of Azog, was a chieftain of the orcs who attacked Erebor in the Battle of the Five Armies in TA 2941. Azog himself was killed in the Battle of Azanoblazar in TA 2799, making Bolg at least 150 years old. Orcs were described as smaller in stature than men on average, strong but crooked in frame and bow-legged. One, quote, huge orc chieftain was described as almost man-high. But some must have been similar in size to hobbits, especially since Frodo and Sam succeeded in disguising themselves as orcs in Mordor. Their overall appearance varied, but generally had long arms and fanged mouths. The Fellowship usually encountered the large soldier orcs bred for war, and sometimes the snaga, as they're called, which is a variety of which were more geared towards being laborers. Another type is referred to as snufflers, smaller, black-skinned orcs with wide nostrils, who excelled in tracking. Despite their smaller size, one snuffler was able to skillfully kill a soldier orc when they got into a disagreement. So some details on different types of orcs, we have again the snaga, which was a contemptuous term for the lesser orcs of Mordor or Isengard, used especially among the larger and stronger Urukai, and it comes from the, a word in black speech meaning slave or servant. Snufflers, again, were like the scouts who would track down the enemy. Then we have the orcs of Mordor and the orcs of the Misty Mountains, and the orcs of the Misty Mountains were tribes of orcs settled in the tunnels in or under the mountains, and they served Sauron early on, guarding the passes and troubling the folk of Eriador. And these orcs were also responsible for the death of Isildur and the loss of the One Ring. Later on, 
far from Sauron's main dominions in Dol Guldur and Mordor, and without him, his will driving them, they seem to have acted semi-independently, harassing the regions and peoples around them, and eventually occupying Moria. The orcs of Moria attacked the Fellowship of the Ring in the battle of the Chamber of Marzar Bull, following them across the Nimrodale, but they were destroyed by a regiment of the Galadrim. A company of orcs from the Misty Mountains joined the parties led by Ugluk and Grishnak in ambushing the Fellowship at Amon Hen, but were later slain at night near the eaves of Fangorn by the Rohirrim. Saruman's army of orcs, wargs, and dunlingdings was defeated in the Battle of the Hornburg. Then we have half-orcs and goblin men, as they can also be called, and half-orcs were among Saruman's servants in the late Third Age. They were large men, lynx-eyed and evil. Saruman's servants also included creatures known as goblin men, who appeared to blend the traits of men and orcs, but they were a different breed. Half-orcs were among the Dunlingdings who came into Saruman's banner of the White Hand in Isengard. Many were counted among the strongest servants of Saruman. The half-orcs mostly perished at the Battle of Hornburg, either before the fortress walls or by the horns. And lastly, we have Hobgoblins. Hobgoblin was a name for, quote, the larger kinds of orcs found in Middle-earth in the Third Age. In the quest for Erebor, Gandalf warns Bilbo that the Grey Mountains are, quote, simply stiff with goblins, hobgoblins, and orcs of the worst description. The term was thought to be an early name for Uruks, but was so rare to hear that this could not be confirmed. The term goblin, in general, was used primarily in the Hobbit era, but also in the Lord of the Rings era, where it was used synonymously with orc. Goblin is an English word, whereas orc is Old English, the language used by Tolkien, which would be more like Rohirrim. So there is no difference between orcs and goblins, and they can, the name can actually be used interchangeably. The Urukai were a new breed of orcs that came into being during the Third Age. Treebeard openly wonders if they are orcs that have been somehow improved, or men that were corrupted with orc-like qualities or if they were indeed a blending of men and orcs, an act that Treebeard considered to be black evil. The race of orcs, described as black orcs of great strength, first appeared at Mordor in the last years of the stewardship of Denethor I. In TA 2475, they conquered Athelion and destroyed the city of Osgiliath, but they were defeated by Boromir, Faramir, and their armies later. The following years, orcs of Mordor and Uruk continued to infest Ithilien, further deserting it by TA 2901. Some Uruks were secretly in the service of Saruman and were seen among the orcs of the Misty Mountains who conducted raids in Rohan. In the War of the Ring, these Uruks of Mordor referred to Sauron as the Great Eye, and Grishnok was their captain. These were evidently of Sauron's breeding, but it was not clear whether or not these Uruks should be regarded as identical with the Urukai, who could be a further improvement to the race achieved by Saruman in the war. The orcs and Uruks in the service of Baradur of Mordor used the symbol of the Red Eye of Sauron. The Red Eye was painted on their shields and banners. 
The Urukai of Sauron the White used an S. Elfrune wrought in white metal on the front of their iron helms. It was clear that this S stood for Saruman because their shields had a small white hand, the symbol of Saruman, centered on a black field. Aragorn commented that their gear was not in the manner of other orcs at all. Instead of curved scimitars, they used short, broad-bladed swords. Their great bows were made of yew wood <laughs> in length and shape as those of men. They also appeared different physically, greater stature, swarthy, slant-eyed, thick legs, and large hands. Though they did not like the light of the sun, they could withstand it better than other orcs. Saruman promised them man-flesh as a treat for doing his bidding. They were faster than normal orcs and could travel during daylight without being weakened. They were not only faster, but smarter, stronger, and larger. Although their average height was just shy of that of a grown man, a few of the black orcs of Barodur were described as exceptionally large, fell, and red-eyed. They were all long-armed and crooked-legged, not as tall as the Isengard orcs, but larger than the Moria orcs. They could see better in the dark than the Isengarders could as well. The Urukai made up a large part of Saruman's army, together with the Dunlingdings and other mannish and enemies of Rohan. Saruman's army of Urukai fought against King Theoden of Rohan and his people at Helm's Deep. Saruman aided them with his wizardry as well, when Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas followed the party of Uruks who kidnapped Merry and Pippin. Saruman's will caused weariness of the heart for the pursuers and lent speed to the Uruks. Ugluck led the Urukai of Isengard, and since they were the strongest, he felt that he led the Hobbit march as well, insisting on going back the way of Isengard. You late. Our master grows impatient. He wants the Shire Rats now. I don't take orders from Orc maggots. Saruman will have his prize. We will deliver them. This was also the same group that slew Boromir. The name Urukai has the element Uruk, which is black speech, meaning orc, and the element High, also present in Olaghai and Ogorhai, meaning folk or people. In Peter Jackson's movie, we see that Saruman appears to be the only one who created the Uruks. They are shown in the movie as being released from a kind of membrane in the mud deep under Isengard, which was based on an early description of Tolkien that orcs wormed their way out of the ground like maggots. In the movies, Urukai are described as crossbreed between orcs and goblin men. This is presumably a reference to the goblin men and half-orcs in Saruman's service, creatures that blend the traits of both orcs and men. These Uruks are sent after the Fellowship, and their leader is Lurtz, who is a movie-only character. Saruman's Uruks included pikemen, swordsmen, archers, and berserkers. The berserkers are like the shock troops. When they were first spawned, a helmet filled with blood was placed on their heads so that they were filled with bloodlust for their enemies. They carry doubly bent swords and forego any armor in lieu of agility, slaying foes left and right completely devoid of fear and pain. Pikemen, as the name suggests, carry long pikes, while archers carried bows or crossbows. 
Swordsman wielded a straight iron sword, hooked at the tip, in a deadly, and deadly in an Uruk's strong grip. The Uruks were also very efficient in using siege equipment. The Uruks, like lesser orcs, seemed not to care of each other's presence, shown by the battering ram wheelers at Helm's Deep, barging each other off the thin causeway. The Uruks also hated orc, believing they were a lesser being and often rioting, like in the Tower of Kirith Ungol, when Shagrat and Gorbag argued over Frodo's mithril vest and started a mass war within the tower. Uh, hands off! That shiny shirt! That's mine! Let's go into the Great Eye, along with everything else. I don't take orders from stinking mortal rats! You touch it, and I'll stick this blade in your gut! The Uruks seem to be able to control natural urges more than just orcs as well. We see this when the orcs demanded to eat the hobbits they had captured, while the Uruks were more protective in trying to follow their orders. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? What about them? They're fresh. They are not for eating. What about their legs? They don't need those. Ooh, they look tasty. Get back, Snum! The prisoners go to Solomon. Alive and unspoiled. Alive? Why alive? Do they give good sport? <laughs> they have something. An elvish weapon. The master wants it for the wall. I think we have the ring. Shh! As soon as they find out we don't, we're dead. Just a mouthful. A bit off the flank. It would seem the only way that orcs were better than Uruks is in treachery, lying, and just being generally devious. The Uruks were also not seen to ever ride a mount, possibly due to their size, weight, and build. Compared to other orcs, Urukai had a more uniformed appearance with more matching armor. Like Easterlings, Urukai would never retreat under any circumstances, so had very little armor on their backs, and not even during Helm's Deep were they retreating, it was just to reform their line before heading back in, but unfortunately for them, the Horns had stepped in to ruin their plans. Still, some had their confidence shattered after the charge of the Orhirim, though, and like Orcs, Uruks could also lose focus at and heart when their leader was killed. Urukai were also 
so fearless at times that they would sometimes decide just to take a blow in hopes their armor would catch it so their enemy would then be more vulnerable. They weren't big on deflections, just brutal chopping. Urukai had two main types of armor, thick steel-plated armor and a lighter leather travel armor that we see on Lurtz and his early Urukai. All the Urukai wore the same general armor, but their helmets differed based on their profession in their military. Uruk bows were less accurate and practical than most others, however because of their design they could fire thick heavy arrows. Some scholars believe that their bows could have reached the 300 pound draw mark, making them only really usable by the Urukai because of the strength needed. But because of this, the bows did not last long. The wood in the bow would give in, while the metal would still sometimes hold. Their bows also could be seen with two small blades attached to the front for an emergency hand-to-hand -hand weapon if they didn't have time to grab their sword. The fletches of the arrows were made from warg fur and held together with tar. Eventually, the urukai went to crossbows since it was easier for them to use over their bows. The user could set the poundage to what they wanted and get more consistent shots since the crossbow didn't deteriorate as quickly as their bows. The crossbows used extremely heavy and thick arrows tipped with iron in order to keep from shattering upon shooting. The primary weapon of the Urukai was a brutal one-handed, three-foot-long sword similar in design to a meat cleaver. There was a large spike at the back end for hooking and stabbing. The hook made a good tool against cavalry since the hook could mortally wound a charging horse or be used to catch the cloak of a passing rider and rip them off the horse. Because of the high demand of blades that Saruman demanded, they didn't have time to shape the blades too much beyond the original ingot after being melted down, then only the outer edge of the blade opposite of the spike was sharpened to save time. Their large shields helped offset the weight of their roughly 10-pound swords, and the two large spikes in the front of the shield were not only used for offensive purposes, but could slide into two small slots on the back inside of another shield to form an interlocking protective barrier, like seen when coming up the causeway of Helm's Deep. Pikes were also used. The 18-foot-long pikes were for defense against cavalry charges, while the crossbowmen and archers picked off as many charging men as possible. They would also help push up shorter siege ladders, and pikemen carried a smaller pointed sword that was less cumbersome as a backup to the pike. Their left gauntlet was flared out and widened to act as a natural shield when holding up their pike. Sappers were non-combatants, but were still vital to the, their armies. They cared for the explosives, the large siege ballistas, battering rams, and siege ladders. Some were tasked with transport of the large 15-foot bolts for the siege ballistas as well. Urukai berserkers were the most massive and ferocious breed of the Urukai, coming in at a towering 7 feet tall and with 300 pounds of straight muscle. These beasts struck fear into the hearts of their enemy just from their sheer presence on the battlefield. They almost acted as a bridge between the standard Urukai and a troll. Unfortunately, we only see these in the movies. And there you have it. The history of the Oryx in Urukai. Next episode, we will be going over the realm of Rohan and the Rohirrim. 
Well, I have an idea for after that. I got an email from Jarrett Reyes asking about an episode on the plant here and seeing if that would be an option from what I have been able to find, been able be able to pull together enough info to make an actual episode's worth uh, out of that. So I can definitely make that work. Um, but then that email in general just gave me the idea because we're kind of in the middle of books now or just starting to get into the two towers. I want to do listener's choice. So for the next episode, or for the episode after next, I should say, I'm going to let you all choose, and I will post up a status on Facebook, since apparently Facebook doesn't let pages put out uh, polls anymore, and you all will be able to comment on that for votes. We'll basically just have it so somebody can comment on an episode they want something on for the topic, and then each like that that comment gets will be an extra vote for that topic. And then we'll do an episode on that to see after we see what wins. And then we'll get back into the two towers. And I believe the next coming episode after all of that will be Thaden, Aowen, and Aomer. So we got a lot of cool content coming up for sure. Now we do have a question this week. This one comes from Chase McKinney saying, Dear Wise Wizard of Middle-Earth Archives, always gotta love how he starts his comments with the very title, very generous titles he gives. His question is, what happens to the ringwraiths? Did they turn to dust or were they hunted down? Further, what happened to the pterodactyl dragon things they would ride upon? Loving the show and having my Tolkien knowledge, my Tolkien knowledge expanded by you. First, I also love, I have to say, I just love the description of the fell beasts as too, as pterodactyl dragon things. That's amazing. I like that name better and may have to use that in an episode from now on. So starting with the first question, what happened to the ring raids? They, this is one thing that, one of the many things actually, that the movie and the book basically perfectly align on, is they were killed in the firestorm, as you can call it, of Mount Doom or Mount Doom, or, or, or a Druin, uh, starts exploding, everything's kind of falling apart, and they are destroyed in that. And the same would go for their pterodactyl dragon things, minus, of course, the Witch Kings, which we know that Eowyn was able to successfully kill. And going into, did they turn, the, turn to dust, or were they hunted down? Uh, neither were, I would say, turned to dust would probably be more accurate, because they were killed in that firestorm, again, minus the Witch King, because their more or less curse that they were under was broken. So kind of like, think of it like the Army of the Dead, where they were human at one time, they were cursed, now their body died of old age, but their spirit kind of lived on as that wraith ghost being, and the curse itself was kind of keeping them alive and there, even though the body, their physical body was already long gone. That's kind of how the ring wraiths were. They were kind of stuck in this wraith world. Uh, their bodies were long gone. And the curse that they were under with their rings was kind of what was locking them in and under Sauron's control. So when Sauron was defeated, that curse was more or less lifted on them. They were killed off. Sauron was actually not killed off. We'll get to that later on. 
probably end of the return of the king uh when we do an episode on sauron himself quick description would be sauron was so after the ring was destroyed uh the ring racer basically gone and nobody really needed to worry about them specifically after that point orcs and other things yes but for them specifically no thank you for sending in your question if you do want more content check out our website ministryeartharchives.com check out our facebook history of middle earth podcast join our facebook group where you can talk and share uh, with other lord of the rings lovers you can find us on instagram as well at history of middle earth pod and that's it for this week's episode if you liked it feel free to subscribe and leave us a review let us know how we did or what we can fix if you have any questions you can send them into our facebook page on our website there is a contact us on down on the left or you can send us an email at ministerarchives at gmail.com thanks so much for listening hope to see you back next time